All right, let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. And we pray for your wisdom, pray for your help to rightly understand your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in Deuteronomy, making our way through this last letter of our last book of the Pentateuch, right? So first five books of the Bible written by Moses. Um, And as we're in this section that we're in right now, what we are in the middle of is this, well, not the middle, really, we're getting to the end of the second sermon that Moses gives. People are outside the promised land, uh, but they are at the point where they're about to enter the land that God has promised, right? So that they will be God's people, redeemed by God, living in God's place, under God's rule. And so part of that rule is his law, which was given back in Exodus 20 and um, has been restated in different ways in Deuteronomy um, because this is a new generation. They're about to enter the land. So in this second sermon, chapters 5 through 11 has focused, focused on kind of what Israel is to do. Big picture. What are they to do? They are to love God with everything they've got and love their neighbor as themselves, basically, right? And, and then... And then specifically, the Ten Commandments. That's all part of this like big picture, what they're supposed to do. And then chapters 20, 12 through about 26 give a detailed application of how they're going to live this way in the land. So that's what we're seeing in this section is how. So the way we're going to approach today is going to be a little bit different. We are covering a very large section of Scripture. Um, there's a lot of laws in this section, right? A lot of very detailed laws, very, some of them case specific, some of them more just big picture, um, general laws. And so we, we want to look at some of these, um, but I think the best way to approach this, and this is what we're going to do, because I'm teaching the class, and so I'm not saying it is the best, but I think it's the best way to do it, so I'm going to do it this way. And if you want to try it next time, you can maybe try it next time. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at big picture we want to see um, how should we think about and apply Old Testament law as New Testament believers. When I say testament, you should be hearing the word covenant. That, those words are the, the same thing. You understand that, right? So we're talking about the covenant. Covenant um, and how, how do we live in light of these things. So I want to do big picture on that. And then we'll go through some of these laws. We're not going to get anywhere near covering all these laws. Um, you know, we could do this. In, in a way where we could, we could go slower and we could look at every single law. And in fact, if you're reading Deuteronomy in your quiet time, please do that. Don't just skip it, okay? Uh, but when you teach something, there, there's always the pull between getting the big picture, which involves moving fast enough that you keep the big picture in mind, right? And then there's also the pull of there are times to really slow down and go real in-depth because that helps you better understand the big picture or it helps you just understand specific details. So you, you need both those things, and there is not a rule that they give you, right, and says you have to go fast, you have to go slow. Really, there, there's, there's room for both those things. You need to do both of them. And so for this go-around, we've decided we're going to go a little faster through this section. Um, and I think some of that will become clear too, because as we're looking at this, I think the, the bigger deal to me is that you would better understand as new covenant believers, what do we make of old covenant laws? And that will give you a framework to help you as you read the old covenant, better understand how to make application to your own life, right? So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to teach you how to fish more so than just give you a bunch of fish this morning. Okay. Does that make sense? That's what we're trying to do. So uh, let's, let's look at this. How should we think about Old Covenant laws here? And so what, what I want to do is um, start with the big picture. So we're going to spend some time here on the big picture. How should we apply Old Covenant laws as New Covenant believers? And then the next, the very end, as much time as we have, we'll just go through different laws. So I want to lay out a couple terms here, make sure we're all on the same page. So you can see Old Covenant. What I'm referring to with Old Covenant is the promises and requirements of the covenant. That's like the agreement that God made through Moses with Israel. So covenants always have participants, right? God, Israel, right? The, the way we get the covenant here, through Moses. Even Hebrews is going to tell us that too, right? This old covenant comes through, is it, maybe it's 1 Corinthians. Anyway, Hebrews talks about it too, I think. Um, so the point is, we have this, this uh, agreement, this covenant promises, requirements given by God through Moses to Israel. And... Um, when does it begin? Well, it begins in the time of the Exodus, right? So if you're keeping score at home, you know there have been other covenants, right? What are some of the other covenants? Abrahamic covenant, right? 
no, Noahic, and then yes, Davidic, which comes later, right? So I, um, I actually didn't put Davidic here on number point number three. I gave you mainly what I was trying to focus on was ones before that, but you're exactly right. We do have a very important Davidic covenant that comes later. But my point is, even before the Mosaic covenant, you have two other covenants, right? And the one with Noah, which is really in some ways to, to society at large that's restarting with Noah. And so it's this idea that God's not going to destroy the entire earth by flood again, right? He will eventually, with fire, we're told in uh, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Um, there's a day of, of destruction still coming, but it's different. And uh, we see with the Abrahamic covenant, which comes after that, we see this idea that through Abraham, all the nations will be blessed, right? And the Mosaic covenant does not erase either of those other covenants. You understand that? Paul makes that really clear in the new covenant when he talks about this, this covenant given 400 something years later in Moses does not erase the Abrahamic covenant. And so in this sense, the church can partake in some of those blessings as we're grafted in to these promises in the new covenant. We also participate in to some degree in this Abrahamic covenant, right? I still think there are specific things for Israel in that, but you get the idea. Okay. Um, New covenant, the promises and requirements of the covenant God made through his son, which was, by the way, pointed to in all of these other covenants. Every other covenant, to some degree, is pointing us ahead towards the coming of Christ. Um, and God makes this covenant with the church, which is made up of not just Israel and those who come to Israel and then you know, become connected to God through that way, but anybody that connects to God through Christ Jew, Gentile, every tribe, tongue, nation, in Christ is participating in this covenant. Does that make sense? So, um, so that's what we have with the new covenant. It begins with the resurrection of Jesus. So the old covenant began at the time of Exodus, ends at the time of Jesus' resurrection. The new covenant begins at the time of Jesus' resurrection. Okay? So let's talk about some foundations here that we need to make sure are clear in our minds because we don't want to kind of drive off into any of these ditches. One is the new covenant is actually a new covenant. Okay, yeah, go ahead. A quick question. I've heard two different sides. One is, or is it that an expansion of, of the plan of God to include mm -hmm. non-Jew? Or is it because the Jew misunderstood and only kept it in-house, if you will? Um, so you're supposed to be evangelizing, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no. Um, so yes and no, the Israel is supposed to be the people of God displaying the character of God to the nations around them. Right. Um, but Israel does not have a commission to go and tell, to go to all the nations and tell because the good news in Jesus Christ has not arrived yet. So right now, if you're going to worship the one true God, what he said is, Mosaic law, this people, Israel, the temple that is going to be built, you're coming here, right? Um, when Jesus comes, we then get the great commission, go tell all the nations. Now, this doesn't mean that God, God does tell the other nations, right? Whenever they see Israel on the march through the wilderness, they see them coming into the land, they see them defeating all these enemies that God 400 years earlier has said, I'm going to... Their, their iniquity is filled up and eventually I'm going to pour out my wrath on them and I do it through Israel. And that's what he does. So there's warning, God's judgment, right? Now, yes, he uses the instrument of Israel, but it's God's judgment. Um, you know, you see, um, you do see some of the prophets speaking things about the surrounding nations, right? About how God's judgment is coming or how God's going to use them. Um, you see Jonah is sent to Nineveh. That's one, one probably striking difference from the other prophets. He actually goes to Nineveh. Not, he doesn't really go willingly, uh, but he goes, right? Um, so I do think, I think there's a lot of similarity, but there also is something new. There's something very new when the new covenant comes that instead of a kind of come to Israel, so you think of like Rahab, right? Israel's on the march, they're coming in, and she basically is like, I, I want on your side. And so she essentially repents and God relents of judgment on her and her household, and she's grafted into Israel through that right? Um, so that's a little bit different than the way it's going to work in the new covenant. So it's a good question. We could probably spend a lot more time on that, but um, yeah, let's, so if we're thinking about the old covenant here, number one, it is actually a new covenant. It is not old covenant 1.2. Um, and it's not that God changed his mind. He's like, listen, we tried this thing with Israel. 
didn't go the way I expected. Surprised by that. I'm going to come up with a new plan. Because Ephesians 1, verse 4, tells us it was before the foundation of the world that people are chosen for salvation in Christ. The plan was, and it talks about the fullness of time, right? Galatians. Uh, Galatians 3, in the fullness of time, God sends forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. He's going he's gonna to bring about this new covenant. So this is not, um, it's not just a, um, you know, kind of slightly renewed, tweaked version of the old covenant, and it's not like plan B. The new covenant is actually new, okay? Um, now that doesn't mean it wasn't foreknown, because there, there are promises made, throughout the old covenant that this is coming. You see it back as early as Genesis 3.15. There's going to be an offspring of the woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And really the whole rest of the Bible is us waiting for that to happen until you get to when Jesus comes. Um, You know, you see the Davidic covenant points ahead to him. Uh, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36 maybe. I mean, hey, I'm making a new covenant. There's going to be a new covenant, right? God, so this is built into the old covenant is that we're going to have a new covenant. So this, by the way, is when people say, you know, well, you claim to believe the Bible, but you don't, you don't act like you're under this old covenant. Well, no, because God built it this way. I didn't design it and build it. This is what he, this is what he did. And so if I, if I was to ignore the new covenant and live as if I was under the old, that would be disobeying what God says. Because there is something different. He's built this into it. Um, so let me, let me expand this a little bit more here. We are not under the direct and immediate requirements, so um, the direct and immediate requirements of the Old Covenant, because it ended with the coming of Christ. So I want to look at a couple of these passages with you. Um, I did give you excerpts in the handout just to make it a little bit easier, because I don't want us to, we don't have to turn to all these different ones right now. It'd be good for you to go look at them later, look at the context a little bit. But I want to, I want to point these out, because I think it is important to realize we are not directly under the Old Covenant. It is fulfilled. Okay, so look at Hebrews 8, um, and your, your hand out there. I'm going to, I may read uh, a few more sections of it than what you have there, but you can kind of follow along. So um, Christ, this is verse 6, you don't have this in your handout, but, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better. So it's very clear we're talking about two different covenants, and the second one is better in the sense that it is the fullness of, the fulfillment of what we were expecting before. Uh, behold, oh wait, sorry, for he finds, oh wait, no, back to seven. Let me go back to uh, uh, six here. Since it is enacted on better promises, verse seven, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, and this is a quote from Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. What's he referring to? The Mosaic covenant. That is what that covenant is, right? Uh, Then he goes on and says, they did not continue in my covenant and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Down in verse 13, it says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So we're told the old covenant is made obsolete by the coming of the new covenant, right? So this is not old covenant 1.2. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Ephesians 2, 14 through 15, and speaking how the new covenant will unite Jew and Gentile in one people, the church, it says, he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. He abolishes those commandments, right? We're not under these commandments. And this becomes clear when you talk about the dietary laws, are you under the dietary laws? No. Now, you, if you want to, you know, be under them, I guess you can be, but don't think it adds anything in your relationship with God, and don't treat other Christians as if you can't fellowship with them because they're not observing the same dietary law you are. Because the reality is you're not bound by that law in the new covenant. Uh, Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So when Christ comes, he is the end of our righteousness, right? That He is the fullness of righteousness 
that the old covenant was pointing ahead towards, that we needed righteousness before God. Galatians 3, um, th- I'm not going to, I'm just going to read a couple sections out of here, but throughout this whole section, it, it's, it keeps saying things like, and we were given the law until. What does until imply except that there's a time stamp on it? When you get here, it's not in effect anymore, right? It's in effect until, <coughs> fill in the blank, which would be new covenant. That's the blank, right? That's what you're filling in there. So Galatians 3, uh, 19, uh, why then the law? It was added because of transgression until the offspring, so think seed of the woman, Genesis 3, right? The promised one of uh, Abraham's descendants, the Davidic king. Uh, So this offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Galatians 3, 23 through 25. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. So you see that until again, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. The law served its purpose. And we're going to talk about this in a second. The law was good and and holy. There's nothing wrong with the law. It was just, it had a built-in expiration date because it had a purpose in God's plan, but it it wasn't the last covenant. There was a new covenant that he had planned in there. Uh, Colossians, uh, okay, so yeah, so here's another, another one, um, Colossians 2, 16 through 17. Sometimes, um, I think well-meaning Christians, and I've, I've held this view as well, I, I don't think it's correct anymore, but um, this idea that the way we should think about the law is we should divide it up into moral, civil, and ceremonial. And so what they would say is we're still under the moral laws of the old covenant. And there is a sense in which that's true, so don't, don't hear this wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain to you there is a sense in which that's true. God's morality does not change. That's true, right? Um, but what, what they do then is then they say, so w- what we do is we dismiss the civil and the ceremonial, but we keep, we're still under the Ten Commandments. And again, there's a sense in which that's true. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But it is telling that one of the ten, we're, not, we're specifically told we're not under anymore. Explicitly told we're not under. And that's the Sabbath. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink. So those are the dietary laws. Or with regard to festival or new moon. So that's kind of some of the celebrations Israel would have around their calendar. We looked at some of those a couple weeks ago. Or a Sabbath. That's one of the 10. Right? So all of the law is fulfilled in Christ. This does not mean do whatever you want and say it's fine, right? That, that is not what this means. It means we're under the law of Christ. And so we're going to talk about that, which, which does have connection to the old, right? There, there is continuity between the old and the new, but there's also something new about the new. That's what I'm trying to get, get through here, okay? We need to realize that. Now let's talk a little bit about um, the old covenant still being very useful. It provides prophetic witness to Christ. It's kind of like signs pointing ahead to Christ. It gives us a historic basis for the coming of Christ. This isn't just a bunch of random proverbs that God gives us with no connection to history, no connection to time and space. Um, All this stuff was looking ahead towards the coming of a person, Christ, God in human flesh. And the old covenant points us to that, gives us prophetic pointers. Um, it shows us things about God's character and his ways. So this is part of what I mean when I say we're not actually under this old covenant. But there's a, there is a sense in which we don't just throw it out and say, well, just do whatever you want. No. We learn, what we learn about God's character, God does not change. His, his good righteousness remains. And so we, we have to think about this carefully. How are we going to understand Old Testament laws in light of that? Uh, and it shows things about loving God and loving our neighbor. We're going to see some of those today. Like... Um, you know, the example we're going to see of building a parapet around the roof of your house to protect someone from falling off. That's a specific picture of, well, what might it look like to love my neighbor? Now, does that mean every building code has to have that you need in every country across every part of the globe has to have this requirement? I don't think so, right? But the principle still is going to apply somehow because we still are called to love God and love our neighbor. And I think that gives us a very practical picture of what that might look like. So how do we think about and learn from the um, old covenant as people who are not under it, but are instead under the new covenant? 
How do we kind of put all these things together and start to think about how we're going to understand these things? Um, Oh, let me back up real quick. I didn't read these verses here, but it would be helpful just to point out that the old covenant is still important because it is very much God's word, right? This is not, we're not being dismissive of the old covenant. And by the way, that should be clear to you. I mean, we've been studying the first five books of the old Testament, right? So if you're hearing me and thinking, well, what he's saying is the old covenant, we don't even need to read. It doesn't really matter. Okay, that's not true. It's not what I'm saying. All right, so 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God, all scripture. And what's he primarily referring to there is really the Old Testament at this point. The New Testament is still being written while he's writing this, right? Now, um, let's see, we're 2 Timothy. So it is, it is getting near the end of Paul's life, actually. He's probably written most of his con- contribution here. But, um, and, it's, and we see that it's, it's, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that's what I'm saying. How, how is it? We, yes, the old covenant is still profitable for all those things, but we're not under it. So there is something new. We have to, we have to read it in light of the fact that we're under the new covenant. And that's what we're going to see here in a minute, right? Or how, how we do that. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, 6. Now these things, he's talking about things that happened in Old Testament Israel's history. These things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. They're, they're warnings, examples for us from the old covenant. Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The old covenant still gives us hope even. We can find hope in reading the old covenant. Okay? So how should we, as new covenant believers, view old covenant law? must be seen through the lens of Christ. I think this lens illustration is helpful. That's why I gave you this diagram. This is not my diagram. Um, This is from Jason DeRoche. And I thought it was uh, at least a helpful way to start to put our head around some of this. Um, We are under the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So you see at the top of that handout, you have the law of Moses, the old covenant. You have the coming of Christ. Now we have this lens of the new covenant. And we have, we, we're not lawless. We have the law of Christ. It's not, again, this is not just do whatever you want. God's holiness and righteousness matter. Um, God is still going to bring judgment on sin. That's going to happen. So, so these things haven't changed. Okay, so how, should, how does this help us think about it? Well, we're going to see that as you look at laws, you, you have to do a little bit of, of work and thinking here, right? And studying and say, okay, there are certain things that are maintained and they're really unchanged from the old to the new. So for example, thou shalt not commit adultery. We're still under that. Because for one thing, it says that in the new covenant. Like explicitly says that. Right? But then I'm going to also show you that there are other ways we can connect you know, back with the old and say this tells us something about God's character. About God's original design in creation. So for those reasons, it carries on as well. Um, it's, certain things are maintained. Um, in different ways. So you have certain things that are transformed. So uh, the substance arrives and that transforms what the shadow was doing, right? Because we're told that when Jesus is the substance, we're told in Hebrews. The old covenant is the shadows telling us that the substance is on the way. The person is going to come through the door that we're waiting for. He's not here yet, but we see shadows in this old covenant that God gave. So when he comes, there are certain things that get transformed. So um, the Sabbath law, we're, we're not actually under it, but in, there is a sense in which it, it's transformed because we talk about this rest that we have in Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. You look at Hebrews, right? We're walking in Christ to enter the eternal rest. So there, there's, there's a transformation of that for, for us. Um. But are we, are we under the Sabbath law where we have to observe, I mean, it should be Saturday, but let's say we update it to Sunday, which makes sense, right? Uh, it's the Lord's Day. But what I'm saying is we're not under that, right? Now, does that mean we just, we can do whatever we want and not know? We should gather on the first day of the week to worship the Lord. We're commanded in Hebrews 10 not to forsake gathering and assembling together. When do we assemble? The first day of the week. Why? Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Now, is there anything magical? Now, if, the gov- if, if, if we lived in a closed country, right, 
and they and their schedule was such that everybody worked on Sunday, but maybe you had Mondays off, would you be in sin to gather on Mondays as a church to worship? No. You're not under the Sabbath law. You see what I'm saying? Is this making sense? Okay. Um, certain things get extended. So um, the parapet building uh, code that we're going to talk about here in a little while, um, it's not like we just say, well, as long as you build a parapet around your, your roof, then you're fine. There's certain things that about love of brother and love of neighbor in the new covenant that I would say even expand some of what we're talking about with that principle in that law for us in the new covenant. Um, and then we certainly have some things that are brought to complete fulfillment, brought completely to an end, like the food laws. I mean, we're explicitly told that though we are no longer under those in several places, right? Now, does that mean that they were bad in the old covenant? No. They were designed by God for that people in that covenant at that time, pre-Christ, and they served all the purposes God wanted it to serve during that time separating them from the pagans around them so they wouldn't get drawn into their idol worship through table fellowship, right? That's part of it. Certain things about just showing uh, the importance of being set apart to God. I mean, there's so many different things that we could say those laws were doing. But in the new covenant, that's, that's not the way it's going to happen. Now, we, what do we fellowship around? We, we, we have pieces of this though, right? We have communion. And that's for believers. It's not for unbelievers as well. There should be a separation there. But that is different than, that is not the same as the law. I'm just saying there's, there, you can see how maybe in some way there's a shadow there, but, it's, but that law is annulled with the coming of the new covenant. We're no longer under the dietary laws. Uh, so let's keep moving here. How do we, I'm gonna give you a chance for questions here in a second. Um, old covenant, Old Testament law, we're not under it. It takes some, some work here. So how do we go about doing this? And um, you know, this could probably, what I'm about to give you here could probably be fine-tuned, expanded, but I think it's a good starting point, and I, I borrowed it and then adapted it from um, Jason DeRochi as well. And so here's, here's kind of what he says in my, my adaptation of it. First, we would determine the law's original meaning, significance, and purpose, including all of its implications. All we mean there is you have to understand it in the context it was given before you can even think about how's it going to apply in a new covenant setting, Right? Like if, if I just give a superficial understanding of it and I miss what the main point was for Israel when God gave it to them, I'm probably not going to make good connections down the road. Does that make sense? It's, it's like you started with a bad foundation, like your house is not going to turn out very well. That's what we're saying. You, you got to foundationally understand what it means. Um, and then after that, determine its theological significance. So this is where we're saying, are there any bigger, broader principles? And so I would say uh, three C's here. So these, these are mine. So you can, if Jason DeRochi doesn't agree with the way I did this here, he can, he'd be right to do that because I kind of adapted quite a bit here. But creation, are there pre-Mosaic laws um, and creation principles, right? So we're, you're gonna see an example of that here in a minute. So just hold on and I'll give you an example. Uh, character of God. What do we learn about God and his ways? Because God's character doesn't change. Even if the specific application changes when you're in the new covenant, his character didn't change. And so, so somehow that, that character is still in the new covenant, isn't it? Does that make sense? So, so that particular law might not apply, but if God's character was somehow pictured in that law, we would do well to say, okay, how does that get put on display in the, the covenant I'm living under now. I don't just th throw it all out and not think about it. And then the coming of Christ. How does Christ's fulfillment of the law impact this law or this thing that I'm considering? Finally, we then apply it based on its original setting, having understood that, then run it through the grid of the theological significance as for us as new covenant believers. I then apply it based on God's unchanging character and the stage of redemption that we live in. In other words, in light of the lens of Christ, what it means to, to say that Christ has in fact come. So that's, um, that is a lot. And I understand that. Um, my hope is you'll just take this. You can go, you know, think about it some more, read over some of those passages on your own. Um, and it's okay if you don't understand all that. I just want you to start to wrap your mind around it, okay? We are not under the old covenant, but that doesn't mean the old covenant has nothing for us. We just have to rightly understand it. We have to look at it in light of the redemptive piece of history we're living under, where God has placed us. That's mainly what I'm saying. Okay, so thoughts, questions? Yeah. Something about the Sabbath. I think we... 
just because we don't often take a look at what actually happened to the Jews very often. Yeah. To understand that when they came back from captivity, Sabbath was the thing that got uh, people killed, mm. not observing it. Yeah. And that, and that was God. It seemed to be God's main complaint against them because they weren't observing the Sabbath. And that translated all the way down to the New Testament, which is why the Pharisees and Sadducees had such a thing mm-hmm. with Jesus because Yep. They've been through that before, you know, with God. And unfortunately, they had no spiritual connection to God. Right. They just had, they just had a rule. Right. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we'll see something similar with these, uh, if we get to it, these tassel things that they were to wear. Right? So there are things that God gives that are good laws. But if we have a self-righteous heart, and this is true in the New Covenant too, what do we do? We turn that good rule that God has given for his glory into just another way to exalt ourselves, right? Or like a magic rabbit's foot to keep God's wrath away. Well, I don't really have to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. If I just do this over here, he'll leave me alone. Or he'll give me what I want, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking like, <clears throat> there tends to be like with humans, fallen state, this like, what's the bare minimum I need to do to get right. right? And like, Christ flips it on his head and in the Old Testament really emphasizing like, Anything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Right. So it's really yes. like, how much can I keep Christ preeminent in absolutely everything I do? That's right. But then it has to be balanced with like, you can't also turn things into law, like you were saying. Like, right. Our, our tendency is also, when we go the other direction, we become legalistic and start turning things into requirements. Right. But it's almost like uh, giving where... You know, it's not necessarily required in the sense that the tithe was, but you should be a cheerful giver. And that right. could actually mean you end up giving more than That's you right. under like a law. Yep. So it's it's delicate balance, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. There's a, a litmus test that Jesus applied to the laws or referred to what God wanted. It, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And your neighbor as yourself, and on all of these, right? It's all of the law and the prophets. That's right. So if you're concerned about whether or not you're keeping the law of God or not, check those two things out. Right. And you can know. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And I would say that's a point of continuity between the old and the new, because we even saw earlier in Deuteronomy, he did say that. So Jesus is not saying something completely brand new when he says that. It came out of Deuteronomy. Um, but you're right, in Deuteronomy, they're giving all these laws of, this is what the nation, state, people of God is going to look like when you're applying these things in the land in this particular context, in this, you know, setting. And then, but in the New Covenant, we can always go back to, right? Like, Because the reality is, you're, when you start getting a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, you, you can see how if you were going to write nation, state laws, what we need is, the people of God, this is what it's going to look like for you to live wherever you're at, right? And it boils down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, you know, all that stuff, which yes, there are specifics as to what that looks like. You can't just fill in the blank with whatever you want it to be, right? We're under the law of Christ. Um, but it's not just a, you know, okay, I kept the letter of the law, so things are great, even though I had no love for God, no love for other people, um, and then there are times where maybe there's not a specific law that deals or, you know, thing in the Bible that deals with that issue. I can always go back to, okay, God, as best I can tell, this is what I think it looks like to love you in this situation. Based on all these principles that I see in Scripture applied, that's my goal. Help me to love you and love my neighbor in this situation, right? So that's good. Anything else? Yes. Um, I would thought of um, in Luke 24, when Jesus referred to the Old Testament, when he was on the road to Emmaus, mm-hmm. he told them that the books of Moses and That's the right. prophets speak of him. Yes. And then when he appeared to the eleven, he added Psalms to that. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so that's what they had to preach from, like you mentioned earlier with with Paul. Yep. He was writing Timothy. Well, they were still they were writing the New Testament that we have. Yes. Yep, that's right. Yep. So so yeah, Jesus specifically says all this all the Old Testament, which is which is in fact it's more than the Mosaic covenant, isn't it? Because it's before that as well. That, that includes it's included in our Old Testament, but we just throw it all together there. Um but all of it pointed to Christ. But he just mentioned the books of Moses and right. the prophets and the Psalms. That's right. Mention. Right. So in the books of Moses, I'm just saying you got the first 15 
chapters of Genesis, right? Before even Abraham is there, really, well, 12 chapters. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, and so he, he's saying it points to me. So if you're gonna rightly interpret, so, so this picture of this lens here, even though I'm saying, yeah, you can tweak this and think, I'm not saying that I, this, is, I'm, this is perfect, okay? But what I'm saying is we do have precedent when Jesus says all this points to me to say, okay, if I'm under the new covenant, after the time of Christ, that's when I'm living, I'm t- what I'm doing is what Jesus said. What I'm trying to do is see it through the lens now of Jesus, right? Which again is not this whole let's unhitch the old from the new. Like what's his name? Stanley or whatever he said, right? No, you don't unhitch them. They are connected. But we don't then just become Judaizers either, right? There, we're under a new covenant. There's something new here. So, okay. All right, well, let, let's look at it. Oh yeah, go ahead. I just, I'm just... You know, like these two scriptures together, the, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and love yeah. your neighbor as yourself, keeps us from becoming self-righteous. Right. Because if we love God the way we should, then we love our neighbors the way he would have loved them. Yep. And I think, you know, people that become self-righteous have caused a lot of problems in our culture. Yep. So, <coughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. a great guideline. Yeah. And to be clear, um, self-righteousness is not just a religious person's problem. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of people who would claim to be godless that are some of the most self-righteous people you will ever meet, right? Because they, they are the law. They have figured it out. And look at how foolish you are for not having figured out and gotten on board with what my law is, right? Now, I, I, I mean, I understand Christians can be self-righteous too when we start thinking it's more my law rather than, well, this is what God said. I'm just telling you what God said, right? Um, and God is going to judge based on what he said. And so you would do well to repent and believe. Um, anyway, okay, good. All right, so let's look at a few examples here, just a couple things. Um, Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23. Um, let's see, actually, I'm sorry, 21, 22 through 23. I think I might have misspoke there. Okay, if a man com- has committed a crime punishable by death, he is to be put to death, and you hang him on a tree... His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So the original meaning here, hanged on a tree after being executed for a capital crime, there were times where, and perhaps this is something they just inherited from people around them. We don't really know because there's not some command to hang them on a tree, but they, they might hang them on a tree in a sense of this this person's under the curse of God. They died as a capital offender, but murder, right? Or something, one of those big, big crimes that would lead to, you have to be put out of the community. And remember, th- this is a way, when, usually when they would speak of this, they would say oftentimes cut off is, is the word they would say about these people. What does that mean? It means you're, the picture is you're cut off from the land of the living and essentially from the people of God, right? So it's kind of like dying under God's judgment is the picture here. So that's what we're talking about. And, and the part of the reason is lest they defile the promised land because um, death is not to be the main motif in the promised land. Life is to be. Everything is pointing, that's why some of these unclean, clean laws, they're pointing towards the fact that God is a God of life rather than death. He's, he's pushing back darkness and death through his redeeming plan. I think that's part of what's happening. But the point is here, we have this, this offender dying and then being, if he's up, held up in such a way that he's under the curse of God, they can't leave him up there overnight. That's their law, okay? Now, we're, we don't have, as, as the church, we don't have a nation state that also does civil law for us. God has given the government the sword for the purpose of punishing evil. That's true. Um, and they are responsible for God to how they yield that, and they will have to give an account to God, just like every other person. They are not a law unto themselves, just to be clear, right? Um, they, they may abuse it. In fact, governments will abuse it. Um, and they will use it rightly at times too, right? That's just the way society's gonna work. Um, but my point here is the way we would apply this law is not necessarily a direct application. We, we don't necessarily, you know, do this with other, other people. Um, I, certainly there are things we can learn about um, the seriousness of sin and dying under God's judgment. I think th- those are pictures we can get from it. But in this case, we actually have something in the New Testament that adds something unique to this passage. And I would even say that Without Paul putting the lens of Christ in front of it, I don't know if we would have seen it on our own, but God obviously wants us to see this. So in Galatians 3, 13 and 14, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
If you don't keep everything in the law and you die, what you deserve is the curse of God, right? Now, through sacrifice and other things, they were covered until the time of the full payment coming, right? Which is Christ. Um, But here it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, and here he quotes, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What we, so, you know, one thing I think we can see that how we would apply this is Christ took the curse that we deserved. We deserved to die under the anger and judgment and wrath of God as a rebel against God, as one who deserves to be in outer darkness, not in the good land of God. We deserve to have our names blotted out because of our sin. That's what we deserve. Christ comes and bears the curse for us, right? So in the new covenant, what we see here is God does not say, you know what? Sin's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to have, my curse is not going to hang over sin anymore. Curse of sin is death. It's still there. But Christ took it for those who are in him so that the righteous one takes all the guilt of those who believe in him on himself, dies, and in our place. So what we have here is we could say it's penal, penalty, substitute, in our place, paying for our sin. Right? Atonement. So you've heard those fancy words for right? Penal, substitutionary, atonement. That's what we're talking about. So how does this apply to us? Well, it points us to, it's, it's the, the, the shadow of the reality, in some degree, of what Christ is going to do in his atoning work. There's a great sermon on this by R.C. Sproul called The Curse Motif. Um, preached it, I don't know, back in 2008 or something. Um, I think it was on the last handout I gave you. If so, if you, Anyway, if you need the link, let me know. I'll send it to you. It's, it's well worth listening to. He really develops this very in-depth, so I'm just going to leave it at that for now. Um, let's see. We've got some other laws here. Um, we got one, the next one in, in 22 verses 1 through 4 about if your brother loses his ox or sheep and he doesn't know it, it just wanders away, you find it, you're not allowed to just ignore it. You have to take care of it. You have to hold on to it, try to return it to him. Um, so I think the original meaning is pretty clear there. It's kind of like Good Samaritan law, right? You see, you see your brother in need. You can't just be like, not my problem and like keep walking, right? Um, now, the question is, how do we apply this in the new covenant? Um, I do think, you know, we certainly should be willing to help people around us. I would say the explicit thing, though, it would be that we are to help fellow believers first and foremost. Um, so James says in James two fifteen through 17, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, so we're talking about a Christian in this, po- this case, uh, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving him the things of, that are needed for the body, what is good, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So I think that'd be a good new covenant application of this, right? I may not see my brother's ox wandering down the road and have to think about what to do with it. He may show up at church, though, be a genuine believer, and in the midst of some sort of turmoil through a series of circumstances, maybe even his own bad choices, and if I just said, look, you know, hey, praying for you, good luck with your problem. Now, this, now, to be clear, this doesn't mean we meet, you, you, you can't meet every need you're going to see. So, so praying might be all that you can do in that circumstance. And especially if we're going to start broadening this beyond the Christians in our community that come to us and we have face-to-face interactions with, then yes, you know, you, it's, it's going to take a lot of wisdom to think through how we apply this, right? You can help in a way that hurts people. You start throwing money at stuff, oftentimes that hurts, that doesn't help. So it, it, this takes wisdom but I think that James passage gives you one example of how this might apply. We've already talked about the building of a parapet. So that thing around your house, right? Um, the, the roof of your house. Why, why was that important for them? They often would spend time on their roofs because it'd be cooler than inside the house uh, during the evening time. So they may entertain guests up there. And what if someone falls off? Well, reasonable person should look and say, if I got a bunch of people up here, we probably should have some sort of railing around it so they don't get hurt. That's, that's the way the Old Covenant is applying love neighbor here, right? Um, I do think this can be expanded in the New Covenant in Romans 13.10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So for us, does it just stop at building a parapet? Not necessarily. We have to think through, how do I love my neighbor and do reasonable 
due diligence and thoughtfulness as to how I can protect them. Right? This doesn't mean you protect people from every single possible circumstance. You're not God. You can't do that. But I think there is some level of application. Um, here's another one. Deuteronomy 22.5. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. So the original context and meaning here, it, when it talks about man's things, the Hebrew word there doesn't just refer to clothing, but things pertaining to be a male. So the point here is, if you're a woman, you shouldn't do things pertaining to what masculinity would look like as if you're going to take the role of a man. And men, you don't do that with things of femininity, taking the role of a woman. And that would include dress and other things, right? Um, so that's the law. In light of this, as we think about um, you know, creation, character of God, coming of Christ, things like that, what's the creation principle? I think the creation principle, which is being upheld here in the Mosaic law, is God made man and woman to, um, of equal importance, but distinction in role and function, image him. That is a creation design, right? This is pre-Mosaic law, even. And so part of what's happening here is there's an application to the people of Israel as they enter the land of that creational standard. This is what you're going to do in the land. You're not going to dress, men, you're not going to dress like women, women, you're not going to dress like men. You're not going to take it upon yourselves to have this role reversal thing. You know, you need to, to be men, be women. That's what's being said. Um, as we think about the new covenant, this distinction is not erased because it's, number one, it's built on creation and creation is not changed in that regard. Second, we have direct commands about roles in the home, in the church. Um, I would say even just in general, those things get applied as well to some degree. So it's not erased. In fact, it's, it's, it's kept there directly in the new covenant. So how does this apply to us? Well, I think there's a pretty direct application because of those things, right? So saying you're not under the old covenant law doesn't mean you read this and then say, see, I can cross-dress, right? You have to, thinking carefully about it, yes, as new covenant believers, looking at creation, character of God, coming of Christ, this is still a valid thing. It hasn't changed, right? And that's not because you're under the old covenant. It's because it hasn't changed. It came into the new covenant. It was part of creation before the old covenant. It's still there. Um, let me point out one more just because I think it's, it's a good contrast to end on here. Tassels, chapter 22, verse 12. Here we got another clothing issue. Uh, you shall make yourself tassels on the four corners of your garment with which you cover yourself. Um, it's interesting, this flows right after the whole don't wear mixed clothing like wool and cotton. We don't know exactly why that law is given, but this following on the heels of that could be the idea that somehow those other things, the way they were being done was connected to pagan worship because the tassels, does anyone remember what the tassels were supposed to do? From Numbers, you probably don't remember. That's okay, Numbers 15. They were to have these tassels, Numbers 15 says, um, to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them not to follow after your heart and your own eyes with which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember to do all the covenants and be holy to your God. These were supposed to be visual reminders, right? That we belong to God. He's given us his law. We need to do what he says. That was what it was supposed to be. So um, as we think about creation, character, coming of Christ, uh, I would say there's no direct creational thing except for the fact that everything should remind us about God. When you look at creation, that's true, right? Um, Character of God, I mean, yes, God still wants his people to remember him and do his will. That's, that character trait has not changed, right? Um, but in, in the new covenant, do we have any reason to think that this, because the creation doesn't tell us it has to be tassels, I would say character of God doesn't command that it would have to be tassels, right? There's no direct connection between God wants you to remember and you have to wear tassels. Does that make sense? There's a connection, but it's not direct there. Um, so as we think about the new covenant, what is it? Well, I think the principle of not forgetting God and his word obviously still abides. You see that throughout the scripture, uh, including the new, new covenant. Um, but do you have to wear tassels to do it? Not necessarily. Right? And again, you can see how this, this is going to translate to in every people, every tribe, gospel going all across the world. I don't know. There may be places where they don't make tassels. The people of God can still follow God faithfully in that setting by trying to remember God's word. Right? 
Um, and in the new covenant, we have the law written where? On our hearts. So, so you see the new covenant, as we look through it through that, that thing, it does translate things. So I would say in some sense, this, this law has been annulled through its complete, we're not under that covenant, but it does, it does still give us principles. It's not, we still learn something from it, right? Um, and so the reason I wanted to, to kind of contrast those two things just to, to kind of bring it to an end here is those are two things that we kind of came to different solutions there, though they both dealt with clothing. But you can see how this pattern of creation, character of God, and coming of Christ is how we got there. We didn't just say arbitrarily, I like this one, I don't like that one. You see what I'm saying? A lot of people get in danger because that's what they do. Well, I mean, this whole cross-dressing thing, sure, that was for them back in the ancient time, but that's not for us today. Well, I, have, I have really good reasons to say it is for us today. Right? And then someone who's like, look, you've got to wear a tassel. Wear your tassel. You, you, do you love God? Where's your tassel? And I could say, I'm not under that law. And I have good reasons to tell you why I'm not under that law. Right? Um, okay, so there are a lot more laws here. Obviously, we're not going to get through them. Um, any concluding questions? We, I think we, we're probably at the end of Deuteronomy going to have just a, a Q&A time just in general, not specifically about Deuteronomy. Um, but if you have other questions, you can certainly email those in. Uh, you're always welcome to ask Doug. I think he's teaching next week. So he'd be happy to answer any specific question on any of these laws you have. I do encourage you to read through them uh, and try to apply this. There are some that you're going to read and you're initially going to scratch your head um, to figure out the original why this law. And um, you may not always be able to figure it out. I don't know. Okay, any thoughts or questions as we conclude here? Yes? This doesn't have necessarily theological ramifications or but yeah. I'm just more just kind of practical ha what happened. So most, when they talk about killing someone or capital punishment in, yeah. in Deuteronomy, they're talking about stoning, usually. Um, yeah, I would say that's probably true. So when it says that somebody's cursed or hung on a tree, what they're doing is after they stone them, they yes. put them on the tree and say, don't be like this. Right, yes. Yes. This difference Old and New Testament is that sometimes you hear we're not under the law, but, under, but the spirit of the law. Mm -hmm. Is that a reflection of the law in many cases? Sure. Yeah, I think that would that'd probably be fine to say. Yeah, depending on what you mean, but yes. Because we are under the law of Christ, we're told. Um, yeah, there's some other phrases that I can't remember off the top of my head that get used, but yes. Yeah. So we covered a lot. Um, you guys stuck with it. I appreciate it. Hopefully I didn't leave you more confused than when we started, right? Maybe, maybe you don't have it all and that's fine. I'm not, I, I don't have it all either. I'm still learning. Um, but let's conclude in prayer. And then if you have other questions, certainly you can email or ask me or Doug um, or save it for that Q&A time and we'll ask you to submit questions ahead of that. So you could always you know, email them and we'll tackle them then. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word, God. Um, God, we do pray. Pray for your wisdom to uh, handle the scriptures the way Christ has told us to. Um, not to be like uh, so many who just want their own ways. They want to go be just like the culture, and so they ignore so much of your word, and they downplay the importance of your word, and uh, they think they can just do whatever they want with your word. Help us not to be like that, but God, help us not to be um, just this idea that we want law or something. We want, we want to just go back to the old covenant where everything is spelled out in so much direct detail, God. We, we want to be your new covenant people, living right here where you have us for your glory, um, reflecting your character, um, living in light of your creation and uh, living under the good rule of our King Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.